Welcome to the 5 More Minutes Podcast. Hi there, I'm Shelly Moore and I am the host for the 5 More Minutes Podcast. Welcome to the very first episode. Now, if you don't know about this podcast, it's important to know that this podcast is not standalone. It's actually connected to a YouTube channel. Um, you can find that um, at 5moreminutes.com because basically the, the premise is that um, once a month there's going to be a video that's released about a topic and, and this month for example the topic is the evolution of inclusion and then there's going to be a follow-up podcast that kind of talks, um, goes a little bit deeper into those conversations and this is or deeper into those topics and, and so for this episode for example um, I had the opportunity to talk to a few different people on their perspectives of the evolu- evolution of inclusion and how that has changed over time. So if you haven't seen the video, The Evolution of Inclusion, go watch that first and then come back to this podcast because um, then it'll make a little bit more sense. The other thing that you need to know is that because this is my very first podcast ever, um, there was a little bit of technical difficulties. Um, it was actually quite funny. We were trying to figure out the mics for our very first interview and um, the mic that I thought I was using wasn't recording. The one that was recording was the one that I put on the floor. So the first interview is from the mic on the floor. Um, and so it's not as good quality as the other two interviews that I did. But I'm hoping that um, you can still... It's such a great interview. And I'm hoping that um, you can ignore the hollow tube recording and the squeaky chair that I'm sitting in um, for that interview. But um, yeah, sorry, but the rest of them are fantastic. Okay, so for today's podcast, um, I have three different interviews and I specifically came to um, Prince Rupert, which is a town just south south of Alaska in British Columbia. And I chose Prince Rupert for a reason because... um, I think Prince Rupert, as both a school district and a community, has done a really, really good job of moving inclusion forward. And so I picked um, three, well, four people, actually, that kind of span almost four decades, actually. And I thought they would be a really good community to to target, um, just to kind of share their perspective on how inclusion has changed over time um, and how they were able to to, to move inclusion forward in their their community. the people who I'm going to interview today um, have diverse roles. We have Linda, who has you know started her career as a special educator and evolved to become a district administrator. Uh, I have Christine, who uh, both grew up as a student in Prince Rupert, is a teacher in Prince Rupert, and is a parent. She has a son with autism. And then the last interview is actually with her son, Parker, and one of his very good friend, friends, Cruz. And I got to kind of talk to them a little bit about their schooling experience. And so together... Um, we get to really see how inclusion has been a really long-standing tradition in this town. Um, and so I'm really excited to share those conversations with you. So I'm here with Linda Hakita, which is um, the first person that we are going to interview today for our 5 More Minutes podcast. And so a little bit about Linda. Linda started off as a special education teacher, didn't you? Yes, I did. You did. And then, and you just retired. I, two years ago. Two years ago. Congratulations. Thank I can you. retire in 2047. <laughs> that was so far I might away. not be here. <laughs> yeah. You know what? 
you'll always be here. <laughs> um, and then, but you're, but when you retired, you retired as a district principal of special education, right? And so this, because this episode of this podcast is connected to the video, which you watched, um, about the evolution of inclusion, I really was trying to find someone who has kind of like seen the evolution. And I was just like, oh, Linda would be so perfect for this because you... <laughs> no, because you're experienced and wise, right. but um, but you have you. I think you've really seen the spectrum. Now this is a big this is a big question, okay. and this is where I, I really this is what I really want to hear from you. Is from your kind of past history as the role that you've been, because mm-hmm. um, I know that Prince Rupert is is seen as a, a place where inclusion has been really successful, and so from your role, because you were in that leadership role, from when you started to kind of when you retired. How do you see inclusion, how, how have you seen it evolve over time? Like, what did, what did it look like when you started? Well, I came to Prince Rupert in 1981 from Ontario. I was two. Yeah? You were two in 1981? <laughs> I was 24. Wow. Maybe I was 23. Well, anyways, doesn't matter. Um, and for me, you know, when I taught in Ontario, I taught in a specialized school. Mm. And uh, it had an awful title. Uh, I won't say the name of the school, yeah. but the last part of it was for crippled children. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, we had very small classes. I think I had six students in my first class, and they all had some sort of physical disability. Mm-hmm. I left Ontario to come out to Prince Rupert, not knowing where it was, but I thought I was coming to a, a place where they were already starting what we called back then integration. Right. And I came to teach a class called... Um, it was called for the trainable mentally retarded. Oh yes, I remember that name. Yes, and I had I think eight students, and I had four EAs, and we were in our own little classroom. And the integration was they got to go to PE, yeah. and occasionally, if they could manage themselves, and I could send a person with them, they got to go to art, mm-hmm. and they didn't get to have their own library time or. Um, any of those things. So that really was the integration in 1981. And, and in 1981, that's actually quite far. It was. You know, like, because yeah. I mean, even when I started my career, which was 2003, like, students weren't even in phys ed. Like, even if I think about, like, my own high school, we didn't even see kids with disabilities. Like, they were there, but no one saw them. They were, it was totally separate. So, like, that just gives you an idea of Prince Rupert itself. Like, yeah. like, you guys were ahead of the game. You know, 1981? It's why I came out here. Because totally. we, weren't, we weren't talking about inclusion mm-hmm. um, or integration even in Ontario mm-hmm. at the time. Right. Uh, so, I mean, we had closed schools. Right? We had cl- schools yeah. that were set up for kids. And, and not to say that they didn't exist in BC. I think they did. But as time went on, you know, I mean, we, we eventually, in the mid-90s, um, we started to talk about um, reverse integration. So, oh yes, yes. And then in about, oh, I would say in the later nineties, they actually closed the uh, specialized program yeah. that I had at a school here, and um, we we said we were going to um, integrate all the students into regular classes, mm-hmm. and it would be my job to support the teachers. Yeah, and it was quite. Uh, quite a change in attitude, quite a change in perspective, and not everyone accepted that. And, and so, so were you a special educator at this time? I was a special okay. education teacher at the time, yeah. and not everyone accepted that. People found it really yeah. difficult. Um, they kept saying to me, but these kids are your job. 
So oh, what's, your, yeah. what's your job going to be? And mm-hmm. I said, well, my job's going to be coming into your classroom and working with you. Yeah. And that was a, a huge perspective change for a lot of teachers to take on at the time. Um, some people, it went really well. I had some great memories of working with different uh, teachers around that. And some teachers really struggled with it. But it's a process, right? Change yeah. takes time. And it's, I mean, like, if you think about even my generation... We didn't grow up with disabilities in our classroom. And so, I mean, I think that if you don't know about it, the first reaction is sometimes fear, especially if you don't know what to do. Yeah. And so I think even when I started as a special education teacher, that's where I really saw my role shift too, was moving away from supporting a student in a classroom to supporting a teacher in a classroom. Yeah. It was one of my biggest learnings. Yeah, I think it was, I think you're right. I think I, I had gone to school to teach kids. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing was teaching adults how Mm. to teach all the kids in the classroom. Mm. And I learned an awful lot from teachers about how to manage classrooms, how to work with a variety of different students. So I think, you know, the learning went both ways. Oh, for sure. I don't think people thought how, even entered their mind, how much I was learning from them. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you are working with people and getting them to understand that Oh, you're going to teach this math uh, equation, which oh, I have to tell you, I'm pretty awful at math. And everybody, <laughs> everybody in Prince Rupert knows that. But um, when it comes right down to it, I learned from the teacher, and then I would say, okay, so we can do this a little bit differently yeah. to make sure that this student in particular can be part of the class. Now, maybe they weren't learning the same equations, right, right. but they were doing uh, equations. Yeah alongside of other students. You know, that's so funny because I remember um, the day that I realized that inclusion wasn't about being an expert. Because it took me a while. I'm a Leo, as everybody knows, and my head sometimes gets a little big. But it was this whole idea where I just wanted people to listen to me. I just wanted them to do what I say because I thought I was the expert. So you can imagine how well that went over. But the day that I realized that I needed teachers as much as they needed me, and it helped me really see that it wasn't... It's not about being an expert. It's about having multiple expertise, which is this, like underlying foundation of what collaboration is, right? Like collaboration is me not telling people what to do, which was a hard day. It was a hard lesson, but it was almost one of the biggest barriers for me was because I had the, I had the wrong perception of what it meant to support you. Fix what's broken. Totally. You can't fix it. So, you know, we did, we did um, eventually move away from that mm-hmm. and we got to the point of, um, Oh, I would say in in the early 2000s, we started talking about inclusion Mm -hmm. and really people not really understanding what inclusion was and what the difference was between inclusion and integration. And I... That's a big misunderstanding. Huge. Um, I think it took me a while to figure it out too. But I I think in the end, what I would say to people is a child who is, um, well, a friend of mine, uh, Christine Danroff, I think you know her. I'm interviewing her later today. Uh Perfect. Well, she had a classroom at our high school here in Prince Rupert, and there was a a student there who was nonverbal, had many, many medical problems, and yet we knew together that this particular student could go into classrooms and be part of the class, Mm -hmm. even if participation was about those students interacting with that student and making sure that that student was having a a valuable time while they were in that classroom. And I think, you know, 
the value to the students was phenomenal. And then to the teacher, too, because the teacher started to see different aspects of their other students about empathy and about sure. what kinds of details they noticed and what kinds of uh, planning they could do around making sure that that student was part of the class. You think about, like, from a school perspective, but also the community perspective, um, and your experience of seeing inclusion evolve over your career, what do you think the impact of inclusion has been on the community at large, both within the school and outside of the school? Well, I think for the community at large, people uh, particularly recognize that um, there are um, vocations, jobs, uh, activities that individuals can do that they never thought were possible. Yeah. And oftentimes I would hear uh, through our career person mm -hmm. that who actually at the beginning of, of quitting students who had um, intellectual disabilities or some kind of physical disability in workspaces thought it wasn't possible. Yeah. You know, this isn't going to work. And what he came up with over time was, wow, these kids are so dedicated to working. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the community learned. It's not just about you know, other kids aren't dedicated to working, but these kids had a, a vested interest in yeah. wanting to be part of the community mm -hmm. and a pride that, that they just kind of went, wow, this kid really wants to do well. So I think how it changed the community was people, especially older people, mm -hmm. started to recognize that there was a value in having mm -hmm. everybody be part of the day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. it, as far as the education system goes, if, I think... Elementary schools are pretty phenomenal at uh, including kids in everything that they do. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a little bit harder when you get to high school because you have that, you know, I, I, I teach English, I teach exactly. physics, I teach... High school's designed differently, like it's a naturally compartmentalized, not mm -hmm. even just intellectually, but physically. Yeah. I mean, there's like department rooms, you know, yeah. and so it is a different context, absolutely, I agree. Mm -hmm. But in 2010, mm -hmm. um, and I was the district principal uh, of learning services then, um, we did a project that I guess the government gave $10,000 yeah. to um, each school district. And you could, well, actually 30, we got $30,000 to run three different projects. Yeah. And we did one at the high school. Cool. And we were phenomenal. We were so surprised yeah. because we took kids from uh, the preparation program, which yeah. would be students that uh, had, you know, what we call mild intellectual disabilities. Yeah. And we took kids from the life skills program, so kids who had significantly mm -hmm. more intellectual concerns. And we put them in Science 9. Cool. And those three teachers co like collaborated and taught that class. And I'm telling you, those kids did as well as yeah. regular students. And you know, and that's and I mean that's what the research says, right? I mean, for when kids have the opportunity to learn with peers and have expectations mm -hmm. as same as peers and the supports to be able to do that, which yeah. is exactly what that funding was designed for. They out, they outperform kids in segregated settings every single time. Like so we know that, yeah. and so. I think there were two things that I learned from that project. You have to have the supports that are available For to, sure. help, to help teachers, A, have the time to collaborate. It's, that's, that's the number one. It's, totally. I mean, if teachers can't get the time to collaborate, to other, yeah. it's really, really difficult to Especially do Especially if you're advocating for a multiple expertise model. Yes. Right? There has to be, yeah. There totally. has to be that time to collaborate. There has to be that time to, to say, oh, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. And then there also has to be some funding. 
yes. to buy some of the things that they needed mm -hmm. in order to make that Science 9 project work for everybody for sure. and make it accessible. And the people too, because they did have um, a number of EAs working mm -hmm. in the classroom, but we had 36 kids in that yes, classroom. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, 12 of them had from the different special education programs. And, you know, there were three teachers in there. Now, mm -hmm. not all the time, three teachers. Yeah, there were yeah. two every time. Yeah. But um, that's important when we talk yeah. about resources. But the real difference that I noticed is the attitude. The attitude of the Science 9 teacher yeah. was, you know what? I never thought of it this way yeah, yeah, yeah. This is working for some of my other kids. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons when I left, just before I left in 2016, mm -hmm. I was kind of a little reluctant to go because of the new curriculum oh, and yes. the design. And I kept thinking, this is going to just open it up. Yeah. It's going to make it work for us. Every single student. And we had the opportunity with the Ministry of Education to do some review, yeah. again, in the science and math area with teachers, local teachers, around what did we need to, to learn about the new curriculum in order to make it work for every kid coming yeah. into their classroom. And that was just so exciting mm -hmm. because I knew that we could extend the project yeah. if people were going to be open to it. Yeah. Change is hard. Because I want to really capture your role as a leader in this community, not all districts are where Prince Rupert is. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm very, I'm very fortunate to travel to many places, especially around North America. And so in your leadership position, from your perspective, what advice would you give to other school districts who are wanting to move forward? Wow. I think, you know, I've, I've had some time to think about what I did in my career. Mm -hmm. Especially when you retire and you sit there and you think, oh, <laughs> You know, why did I do it that way? Yeah. Um, I think what I learned as a leader is leaders don't manage people. That's oh, not what you do. That's powerful. And I think if you manage people, then really that's not, that's not okay. Mm. I think leaders have to encourage people to be the best they can possibly be. Yeah. And when somebody has a great idea, you need to help them move that idea forward. Mm. And it took me a long time. I wasn't I wasn't like this at the beginning of being a, a district principal in 2005. I was a pretty good manager back then. Yeah. But I think what I learned from a number of very wonderful people here in the district is if you're going to make a difference with students and with families, mm -hmm. you have to develop an atmosphere of, I have an idea. Mm -hmm. It might be crazy, but yeah. will you listen to me first? Yeah. And then can we talk about how that might work? Yeah. You have to look at the people that you're working with and you have to say, how can I make this best for them so Even that they if can it's bring it different than what you would do. Yeah. yeah. And it wasn't always an idea that I agreed with. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to be able to say to people, well, why don't you try that and let me know how it goes? Or what can I do to make sure yeah. that you can try that? What's so interesting about that is if I think about the administrators that I've worked with, when I was school-based, mm -hmm. that's exactly what I would have said made a difference for me. And there are people who trusted me. And there are people that, you know, saw my little ideas and were like, why don't you give that a go and let's check in, right? Like, they allowed me to have that creative freedom to try different things and to try new things without feeling like I had to be exactly the same as the person next to me, the next classroom over. One of, um, so just as a little like historical update, mm -hmm. um, British Columbia had just won a really landmark court decision to get yes. some funding 
uh, put back into the schools, which is so phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Like, kudos to BCTF for that, for yes, sure. I agree. Um, one thing that came out of that process, though, um, right before, kind of before the school year started this year, was lift grants, which are grants for learning improvement. And they were kind of a band-aid strategy, right, to kind of get some funding in the schools. But what actually kind of I thought came out of that was it gave teachers an opportunity to get creative. And some of the, some of the most, like, fascinating and successful projects we had mm-hmm. at our school was when there was funding to back ideas, yeah. right? Because teachers, teachers were creative people. They were, you know, when we have the opportunity to like make some magic happen. But I think for, for so long, there was just so many problems mm-hmm. and we got less funding, less funding, so the problems just got bigger. But then as soon as that court case was won, all of a sudden we could start to be, have creative solutions. And so part of like, I, and I love that because what those grants did was they allowed individual teachers and individual schools to get creative and respond to individual needs in a way that works not just for kids but for teachers because I think part of you know the difficulties with funding models is that it assumes that you know every kid is the same and every teacher is the same yeah. but teachers are just as diverse as students and so how we support one classroom might look different than how we support the next classroom and you know I don't necessarily know what the solution is to that but what I loved about those grants were were it sounds similar to that one that you mentioned the earlier right and it allowed schools to say okay who are our kids? Who's our staff? What do we want to do? Let's put some funding to back some of those ideas. And to be honest, I think that's why Prince River has come as far as it has. Yeah. I don't. I. I. As you were talking, I. I want to be clear mm-hmm. that um, if teachers don't have support, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard oh, to help a they, student. They can't do this on their own. Yeah. No so, way. I mean, that's a key piece too. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. no, for sure. And so I think what, what we're really realizing is, you know, when we say classrooms need support, what are we talking about? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what does that actually mean? Because that means different things to a lot of different people. And so I think really making it explicit, um, you know, like Schneller, yes, our guy, or like, you know, he's yeah. like the Jesus of education. <laughs> um, but Leighton Schneller, he, he developed this, um, it's, it's called the menu of support. And I love that idea because when you go to a restaurant, you choose, there's, there's many options and you choose what works for you. And I'm like, imagine like if every classroom teacher got a menu and they could choose the supports that kind of work for them. Like that's kind of like my vision. Like how do we create a menu of support for, for teachers that is backed with funding that doesn't necessarily have to look the same for everyone, but everyone has a choice for what that means for them. And I think that would be really responsive to also different experience levels, different, you know, just where, where people are. I really like that idea because, yeah. you know, we talk about collaboration and sometimes collaboration can be forced, and that never works. No, you can't force that. It's like you a marriage. To, I know. So you have to be able to collaborate with someone mm-hmm. that you have, mm-hmm. you know, a, a mutual um, ideas mm-hmm. with or a mutual respect for. Totally. And so collaboration can look yeah. different for every individual. Well, and I remember when I when I tried this menu, I had on the menu, I had co-teaching as an option. For yeah, sure. that's one. But I also had co-planning as an option. And um, I also had uh, management of resources, finding alternative resources and and materials for different levels of ability. And for teachers that, I mean, like there were some teachers that I worked with who had never had a kid with disabilities in the class before. Like this was so new to them. And they'd never had another adult in the room before. And that is scary. And so I remember one teacher said to me, he's like, I didn't realize that there was another option. 
you know, and he's just like, it would be amazing if you could help me find materials. And that was often my foot in the door. Yes. And one teacher said, he's like, he's like, you're like the stage manager. And I'm like, what a good way to look at kind of the children's role of special education, right? Yes. You are the behind the scenes of yes. the classroom. And that was, that was like the feedback that I got from that was, it doesn't have to look the same for everybody. Because it's okay that people have different needs, and it's okay that people have different levels of comfort and experience. Yeah. So how do we respond to that? Just like kids. Yeah. Just like kids. Just like we always talked about kids yeah. and their different learning styles. Teachers have different teaching styles. Totally. Different learning yeah. styles themselves. We have to take that into account. Totally. Oh, Linda, <laughs> thank you so much for spending this time with me on this busy Thanksgiving weekend. You're welcome. Oh my goodness. Do you have any final thoughts? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I know. Poor Linda had to wait because we were having some technical difficulties to get this right. Because you're my first interview ever for my podcast. Well, there you go. I it's know. Good to be first. <laughs> well, thank you. And I hope that you have just the best weekend with your turkey and Brussels sprouts. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, you Linda. All right. Bye. With me now is Christine Danroth, and she is many things, um, including she grew up in Prince Rupert, so uh, I wanted to talk to her about her experience as a student. And she's also a teacher, and she works with students uh, with special needs, but she's also a parent. And so she has a lot of lenses that I think she can look at education through. And so, Christine. Good morning. Hello. Thank you for coming on my podcast with me. Anytime. Anytime. So Christine's a good friend. And uh, when I thought about who I wanted to talk to for how um, inclusion has changed over time, Christine, you totally came to mind. Awesome. I'm yes. super excited. So um, my first question, what do you want the world to know about you? Like, who are you in this world? Well, I am Christine. I am a teacher. I've been teaching since 2006. And I've mainly taught in inclusive education programs. So I started out TOCing. Mm-hmm. That's teacher on call. Substitute teachers out there for every, everyone knows. Teacher on call. And then I taught a variety of subjects. And then I worked in the life skills program. I had five EAs. Mm-hmm. And then I worked in the preparation program. Now I'm a district helping teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm also working in the deaf and hard of hearing program. Mm-hmm. So, so you've kind of seen what inclusion can look like over time. Yes, totally. totally. So now that so now that we kind of know a little about you, I'm, I, this is my favorite question I ask everybody: is if you were to kind of capture what inclusion means to you, what would you say? For me, it, inclusion means belonging, being a part of your surroundings, whether it's school, your friends, sports. It's about being together and everyone having a purpose. I love that. It's so true. And one thing that I know about, um, one of the first things I noticed about the town of Prince Rupert, and the reason why I'm coming here for this, is because not only have I noticed the schools have evolved really quickly, but like the community. I mean, I can't even believe how inclusive the sports and community activities are in Prince Rupert. So I just, I love that because I think it, ex- so, it extends so much further than just the classroom. It's a very friendly, inclusive community, um, especially with sports. I think there's always work to do um, all around in the community, but we've definitely been putting that work into mm-hmm. our community. Mm-hmm. And if there's ever a problem here, tons of people will show up at your door. It's ve- yeah, it's very like community oriented for sure. Yeah. So you are the mom of my one of my favorite humans, Parker Danroth. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Parker? Well, Parker is a character. He is a great little boy. He's done a lot of work. He's come a long way. 
and he was diagnosed with autism when he was two and a half. Mm -hmm. He's spunky, he's feisty, he's got a lot of friends. Mm -hmm. um, he's also very intense, very fixated mm -hmm. on sports. And yeah, that's Parker. I love, I love Parker. He's, he's one awesome. of my favorites. He was one of my best people in my wedding. He was. He was very, very driven and super excited to be in your wedding. He yeah. felt like he had a big role and he rolled it out very well. Oh, just love him. And so looking at Parker, what do you think is one of the biggest lessons you've learned from him? I would say the biggest lesson I have learned from Parker is to stay on the path, stay focused, and never give up. So true. Since I've known you guys in the last couple of years, like, you know, seeing you both put in the work to, you know, yeah. kind of really support him and navigate his world, but without losing him in, in the world, you know, like I, I find like, I find like there's often a struggle, especially in the world of autism, that we're trying to get people with autism to fit into the non-autistic world. But what I love yeah. about how you've supported Parker is you've honored his perspective in his world as much as anyone else's. And you can see that he, he, he stands with that confidence, knowing that that's part of his identity. Yeah, I, I don't want to change the fact that Parker lives with autism. Mm -hmm. I just want him to have the opportunities to be really successful. And some of his struggles we're going to be working on for a long time. Mm -hmm. But I don't, that's, that's who mm -hmm. Parker is. And this kind of leads to my next question. If you think about support that made a difference for you, in the community, and you kind of mentioned a little bit about like behavior therapy and food therapy. If you think kind of both within Prince Rupert, but also the province, what are some supports that have made a difference for you and Parker? Definitely having a team. So when he was first diagnosed, we had our speech therapist, we had our pediatrician. Um, I'm really lucky that I have good doctors here. Uh, we had our occupational therapist then that team has changed. It's been our teachers. It's been his preschool team. It's Then it was his kindergarten team. Um, his EAs have been fantastic. Just always having that open dialogue. Like I feel over the years we've gone through life with Parker and there hasn't been a smaller team than 10. Like, and for me, that's been a, su a support system, mm -hmm. you know, to get Some through. of my favorite, um, like stories that you've told me about, um, when the community totally responds to Parker's needs. This year he's been walking home from school and sometimes he walks home with his friend Cruz. Um, but last year when we were first practicing walking home, um, Parker's nanny walked with him and then he tried it a couple times on his own. And this community is so great. Like I think every week I would get at least four or five texts from friends saying, I see Parker, he's walking home, yeah. he's looking so great. You know, we said hi to him and, and the small community has really worked for us in mm -hmm. terms of his sports. Everyone and knows him. Everyone cares. Everyone knows and everyone yeah. cares. You got eyes everywhere. Totally. But like supportive eyes. Supportive eyes yeah. and people just cheering us on. A simple mm -hmm. thing like walking home isn't a big deal for most mm -hmm. kids, but for us, it's huge. It's independence. It's having that time to himself. So. Well, and I think like what the part that I've really taken from Parker's experience, because um, he's not he's nine. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. So when I met Mark Parker, he was probably, I think he had just turned like seven or maybe, like he was. Yeah, and we did yeah. uh, food therapy for a week at your house. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, but one thing that I really noticed is, you know, if I think back, and you could probably think about this too, like when we first started as educators, you know, kids like Parker didn't necessarily 
the community wouldn't necessarily know them because they weren't a part of the community, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know you and I have had the conversation about, like, when we went to high school, there would have been kids with disabilities in the school, but I still don't even know to this day where that they were located. Like, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you if a student was in my school, let alone my class, because... They, they were in a separate area, yeah. you know, when I was going to school. And I remember some of the students I was really fascinated with Mm -hmm. and I wanted to interact but Mm -hmm. we never had that opportunity Mm -hmm. like I didn't know necessarily what down syndrome was or Mm -hmm. or what cerebral palsy was but it would have been so beneficial if if it was explained to us the way it is now you know Mm -hmm. where we explain things to young people and it makes such a difference and and so this was like the other part I wanted to ask you was like if you think about your experience growing up in Prince Rupert and Parker's experience growing up in Prince Rupert, like how have how would you have seen that be different from like say like twenty years ago to today? How do you think inclusion has evolved? And so like how does it look for him now instead of what it would have been like? It's totally inclusive. Mm-hmm. Like he's a part of everything that we do. Um, you know, his coaches talk to him. He's a part of this community. He feels like. He's making decisions for himself. People explain things to him. He has great friendships. And if if I had Parker 20 years ago, it would be so isolating. Mm-hmm. And, and I think living with autism has a piece where it is really isolating. So mm-hmm. you have to be really careful that you're getting out and that you're working your support systems. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been really, really challenging mm-hmm. is, you know, I see how far you've come in your community and your schools. And I'm wondering, like, if you were to kind of look ahead 10 years from now, where do you see inclusion going? I hope we just still continue to have everyone there and mm-hmm. everyone at the table and people learning from each other. So mm-hmm. whether you're living with Down syndrome, with autism, mm-hmm. you're in the classrooms with your peers and you're enjoying life and and I just think it's mm-hmm. going to get better and better. Well, Christine, thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you for your time um, on my new um, podcast idea. We'll see how long this idea lasts for. You know me and my little, like, hamster brain. Um, any, any last comments or thoughts? Um, just a shout-out to all those teachers out there who are working hard oh, and working isn't on that inclusion. The truth? And um, just keep it going. It, it's... It's super exciting to see, and as a mom of a child who's had a lot of struggles and a lot of strengths, it's I love it, and yeah. I appreciate it. Go teachers, go! Woohoo! Yay! Okay, good morning, everybody. We are recording from Prince Rupert. We are gathered around the table with some coffee and some apple juice. And I am here with my two very good friends. Who are my very good friends? Uh, me and Cruz. And who is me? Parker. Parker. <laughs> so I'm here with Parker and Cruz. My, hey, my, guys. What's my up? My two buddies. <laughs> and they, they have been so... Oh, man, you guys are the greatest for doing this with me because I wanted to talk to some people who are like in school right now because I'm not, I'm not a student anymore, so I want to know how school is for you today. How do you guys know each other? Because we met when we were um, three years old. Three years old? And how old are you now? Nine. 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 That is a really long time to know each other. 
And so, have you guys, like, been friends, like, just for, for that whole time? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So, you, like, grew up together. Okay. So, you know each other pretty well. So, what are some things that you have in common? How are you guys alike? We are both good at sport, and we both... What was I going to say? I have no idea. You're both good at... Funny. What? Oh, you're both funny. That's true. What, what would you say that you're both good at? Uh, sports. Sports. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I think I saw a video once of you guys both dancing. Uh, yeah. That was a year ago. That was a long time ago. And so what are some things that make you different from each other? That I play hockey and she um, does dance. dance. What else? Um, we, um, do you know how to cook? I don't know. I do. You guys are in the same class, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so what are some things that you love about school? Uh, the, we get to do gym, play outside, yeah, and we get it. to do some fun stuff on math, like play Sparkle. What is Sparkle? Oh, it's a really fun, math, a really game. fun oh, math, game? math game. We um, can play it later. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Cruz? Yeah? What do you, what do you know about the word inclusion? Inclusion. Including or inclusion? Inclusion. Well, can, well, it can be both because they kind of sound the same, it's, don't in, they? It's yeah. inclusion. So, inclusion. Okay. So what does what is what what does that word mean to you? I feel like I'm just gonna go with including for now, and then Ooh, I'll think about it. Um, I think inclusion. If someone's lonely, you should go join them and ask if you want to play as well. And so that's kind of including someone else. Yeah. Yesterday we were talking about inclusion. You said something that I really liked. You said inclusion is like when you include everyone in your family. In your family, yeah, because you want to make sure that everyone isn't lonely, right? Mm-hmm. So my question is kind of, when you think about your classroom, do you feel like everyone's included in your classroom together? Yes, because yeah. they're also grade fours. And Miss <laughs> Cowell yeah. said, it. Miss um, Cowell said, I'm like your nozzle mom, and she said, yeah. we're all a family here. So that's like, that's a perfect example. It's almost like you guys, like you feel like you like belong together. Yeah. So there we have it, three fantastic interviews from some very incredible people. Um, I've had the chance to kind of think about my conversations with uh, Linda, Christine, Cruz, and Parker, and it just, I've I've really, you know, it, it was such a rich conversation to have all of them, and I've just really realized, you know, 40 to 50 years is a really, really long time, and although change takes time it really really makes me proud um, to be from BC and to see the progress that we've made Um, when I think sometimes I feel really frustrated and I'm like we're not moving fast enough we're not moving fast enough um, it's really helpful to talk to people like Linda who have just seen where we've come from Um, I always kind of remind myself you know the decisions that I make every day in classrooms and in schools you know are is is what we're doing you know gonna be the thing that we're gonna be proud of 25 years, 50 years, 100 years from now, and really making those conscious efforts to be on the, the right side of history. Um, but in order to do that, I think what I really took from these conversations is how much we need each other and how much we need to support each other, um, especially our classroom teachers, which is where um, this magic is happening. And so just a, a special shout out to them. Um, I also really took away uh, the importance of creativity and innovation. I think sometimes uh, we, we, we do understand the diversity of students, but it's just a reminder for myself, especially, um, just that we have to also respond to the diversity of teachers and uh, support ideas and and uh, really honor, honor what's happening, even though it looks different from classroom to classroom. 
The support systems in our schools and communities, the strength of parents, these are just such great, incredible takeaways. Um, I really enjoyed my time with both Parker and Cruz. You know, I, I'm talking to them and I'm giggling on the side because I'm just watching these two nine-year-old kids um, who've known each other for so long and they're just, they're kids. They're in school together. They're in a community together. Um, they're lifelong friends. And uh, they wanted me to make sure that I do a shout out to their teacher, Mrs. Cowell. Um, and what I really took from their conversation was, you know, what inclusion means to them is, is just, you know, belonging and family. And, and if I can't, if I, if I can think of any best example of inclusion, I think it's, it's, it's family. You know, we, we love each other and we support each other no matter what. And that's what I'm seeing in classrooms all throughout British Columbia. Um, and if ever I'm stuck and don't know what to do, I kind of looked, well, I think about Parker, think about Cruz and all those kids that I work with because they don't see the difference. Um, they don't see the deficit and they're, they're able to kind of see, see each other without the dynasty of deficit that's so much. Um, especially in special education that we have been almost forced to look through for so long. And I think that we are in a really, really, really exciting time right now. Um, there's a lot of stakeholders that are coming together to really, I think, see some change happen. Uh, the last thing I kind of wanted to say before I sign off for the very first podcast of Five More Minutes is there's something that you can do right now um, to be inclusive in our community, especially in British Columbia, and that is that the Vancouver election is coming up. And this is where we can look to see who we're going to vote for our school trustees. And there, there's two things you can really look for in who you're voting for. And there's two issues that are really on the table right now. And one is absolutely inclusive education for kids with disabilities and making sure we support that. But also, um, there's a lot of conversation right now around um, supports and resources to help classrooms honor uh, students who fall under the LGBTQ2S spectrum umbrella and uh, there's some resources called SOGI123 and there's a lot of misunderstandings and a lot of rumors that are going around around that and so um, I know that I fall under that umbrella, umbrella and those resources would have made such a huge difference for me in my safety growing up at school and so I guess this is just a reminder to everyone out there um, that if, if something's bothering you and you're not sure about it, just please reach out. Um, if you have questions about this curriculum, you know, email me if you want to and I can connect you with the right person because I know in the, in, the, in the world of social media, there's a lot of reaction and sometimes reactions aren't based in the facts. And so um, it's, it, it's okay to disagree. Um, I just encourage everyone to, to really research what that is because I think right now one of the best ways we can be inclusive are for, for some of our kids who are queer and who are trans because um, we're not we're dealing with some some pretty serious safety issues that I can really identify with and so this is a little kind of call to action for you um, to, 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 to really investigate that because the decisions we make for these elections coming up are, are gonna have some pretty profound impacts on the kids in our schools today so with that I will say goodbye this is the first Five more minutes podcast signing off. Um, the next uh, the next rollout of content will will be in a, in a week or so where I'm going to have a little video blog. Um, I've got some really, really great um, entries for the call to action in the video, which is what do you think inclusion will be in 10 years? And I want to share that with with you. So, so you know, make sure you connect to the, the website so you, do, so you can kind of see what's coming. And November 1st is the next video. So thanks so much for all the support so far, my friends. Um, I will see you soon. The 5 More Minutes Podcast is produced by Shelly Moore and Paul Madsen.
A big thank you to Pockle and Cruz, Linda and Christine. Good job, Mom. Yeah. You can find five more minutes on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, and on fivemoreminutes.com. Make sure you like and subscribe so you don't have to miss an episode. See you next time.